Welcome to New Hope Underground's bonus content episode. And here are your hosts for this special question and answer extravaganza, Darren Hansen and Tyler Stecky. Hey, welcome to New Hope Underground. It's bonus content. Now, we had a series a while back called Asking for a Friend. Had a panel discussion on the Sunday morning and asked everybody to submit some questions. We had so many questions submitted, we could not get to them all in that panel. And we haven't been able to even get to them all in just one bonus content. So this is our, this is another bonus content. We have this will be our second one on New Hope Underground. We have a, two of them uh, right now up on GL Talk, our other podcast, our sister podcast as well. So we're going to be answering some questions that we have grouped as kind of miscellaneous questions. Uh, we've answered uh, the other bonus content. We've answered Old Testament questions and New Testament questions and, and some on community and so forth. Uh, but this category is kind of mis- miscellaneous because there's a lot of things we're not sure exactly how to how to categorize them. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to go through some. Here we go. And Tyler Sturkey is here. Hello. I'm here. <laughs> you are here. And uh, thanks for being on the underground You're bonus welcome. content. You're welcome. Now, uh, we are going to jump right into it and try to answer as many as we can in a short time, at least to the best of our ability. And here's the number one question. Who is Satan? Mm. That's how to categorize that question, so hence the miscellaneous tag. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, I mean, Satan is uh, the devil, the enemy of our souls. Scriptures talk about him. He prowls around like a, a roaring lion seeking wh- whom he may devour. Uh, probably in the Old Testament, let's see, I'm trying to think. I mean, obviously the Genesis account, the serpent, which he's not referred to as anything other than the serpent, is this being who just out of nowhere, God creates this perfect creation. And out of nowhere, there's this creature called the serpent who begins to tempt Adam and Eve to not put their trust in God, but to put trust in their own understanding and their own abilities, and their own plans. Uh, where the name Satan actually comes from is actually in the book of Job, uh, in the heavenly court scene at the very beginning of the story, where uh, it says that there is this person that we in our English translations have it as a proper noun, Satan, it's his name, um, but it is actually a, a Hebrew, uh, a Hebrew word, ha Satan. It means the accuser. So really, the more accurate way for that to be translated, like when it says Satan comes in, it should say the accuser comes in. So there's this being, apparently some sort of a angelic type figure, possibly fallen angelic type figure, who comes in and begins to accuse. Uh, God's goodness, accuse about God's goodness, and even bring accusations against Job, which kind of starts that whole story. Yeah, I mean, there's, I guess, the, what we've pieced together, a lot of scholars have pieced together, and we under, understand that, that possibly he was an archangel mm. at one point that fell from heaven, along with a third of the, the angels that actually followed him, hence demons, uh, that were basically given some sort of ability at the time uh, to decide whether or not they wanted to to follow God. And the same temptation the serpent gave to Eve is basically he wanted to be God. 
And so he had this revolution, if you will, created his own revolution and uh, was cast out of heaven. In Luke uh, chapter 10, Jesus talks about, he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Mm. And behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and all over the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Uh, so he he's I think he's kind of referring back to I believe it's in Isaiah. I'm having a hard time thinking exactly where it's at. I think that's right. Let me uh, double check. Isaiah yeah. 14. I was going to say I actually had found this where it, uh, this is Isaiah 14:12. It says, "How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn! You have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God." I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high, but you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. That's a key passage we have in Isaiah. There's another one in actually in uh, Ezekiel 28. I'm looking for it right now. Yeah, here it is. Ezekiel 28. Uh, this is, uh, I think, verse 12. Starting verse 12, it says that you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, carnelian, chrysolite, and emerald, topaz, onyx, and jasper, lapis lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold on the day that you were created. They were prepared. You were, amo- you were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. There you go. Those two passages are key passages. Kind of give us an idea, maybe where that the devil was a fallen angel. Yeah. And an understanding that he's always been on the prowl ever since then to want to be God and to tear us away from God as being God's creation. So that's who Satan is. Yes. Uh, next question is, what does the Bible say about ghosts? Ooh. <laughs> <coughs> I'm sorry, I have something in my throat. You know, it doesn't really talk much about ghosts. It doesn't, the the no. only ghost story I know, uh, maybe I'm wrong, maybe there's more. The only ghost story I'm really aware of is uh, Samuel, mm. the ghost of Samuel. Uh, Saul. I will say, actually, before you tell that story, yeah. just to set the context for why that's a significant story. Uh, even though, yes, that is the only story where a ghost is talked about because the scriptures are very clear that to be apart from the body is to be present with the Lord. We go somewhere. We have an eternal destiny after we die. Spirits don't get lost, which is why there are multiple commands in the Old Testament that warned against mediums, necromancers, spiritualists, yeah. spiritualists basically Stay people, away. Yeah, peoples whose job or craft was to commune or contact with the dead uh the people of god were actually strongly urged to stay away from those types of things um and and rebuke them and yeah and rebuke them um so but saul did not yeah because he was uh he had been basically told by samuel the prophet that god no longer wanted him to be king that's when he went on that rampage against david yeah was very paranoid, but uh, Samuel died, and so he f- 
he felt like he needed God back, and the only way he could get God back was was through Samuel. And so he went to a the witch of Endor. Yeah, talks about in the scripture. It's somewhere in the book of Samuel. Yeah, first or second Samuel, first Samuel, I believe, first yes. Samuel, and um, basically tries to contact Samuel back from the grave through this medium to ask him what he what he could do to get back in God's good and graces. Samuel does show up and th- yeah that's what <laughs> see this is what has confused people because typically the answer is no there's no such thing of ghosts I've even heard it say that I mean just like it talks about how demons masquerade as angels of light servants of righteousness it's possible that anytime someone experiences something supernatural like that a haunting or anything like that that that's actually more likely demonic than it is some lost soul that doesn't know where to go after it died type of thing yeah i think in this case it was god teaching him a lesson yeah and the medium was not happy and this is what makes this story so interesting (laughs) is there's nothing that indicates that wasn't actually samuel so it's a very interesting story yeah it really is so you can go and read that and, t- and take a take a gander, but there's so many warnings against it. And I I think in our day society, I may be going. People may think I'm taking this too far, but I think we we are too flippant about it. We joke around about it. We watch movies about it. We think it's so funny. And uh, the, the the truth is, it's like C.S. Lewis said. I think I used this a little bit. We talked about this in our uh, yeah in our panel. Was he said that the the devil either wants you to have an unhealthy uh, interest in him or just don't care about him at all. I'm kind of saying that in my own my own vernacular. But I, I think the, the point is is that a lot of us, I think, have this unhealthy obsession with the whole thing. And we like to, Christians, love to separate this idea of ghosts from demons. Yeah. Or separate the idea of that there really are the people that we loved and who have gone on before us are coming back and talking to us. But I think if we're really honest with ourselves, we have to say that that's just something that we really want in our head. Yeah. Somebody that, and and I just I I, I personally believe like what you said uh, that all these stories out there and all this stuff is really is not true. I mean yeah. there there aren't any such thing as these spirits in between. You know, uh, the ghosts are are conjured up. I, I do believe the devil can work like that and conjure things up. I also believe our minds can conjure things up. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think uh, God is allowing. And, and another thing, if you think about it, if, if today we're here and tomorrow we're in heaven and we're with the Lord at that and we're in his presence, uh, why in the world would he have us walking the earth? You know? Yeah. Uh, that, I mean, that's really presupposing no that God forgets people. Yeah. Or that people slip through the cracks when that's, there's nothing in scripture to indicate that. Um, But there are many things, I mean, just, you know, because people always talk about ghosts, like if someone was murdered in a house or something and then it's haunted. But the thing is, you actually do see in the scripture that it's often in places like graveyards and places like that where people are possessed. Many of the people who are demon possessed that Jesus cast out, they hang around places of violence and death. Um, So... I feel like if there is any veracity to any of that, it's more likely demonic than anything, which is why it's not something to play around with. Ouija boards and contacting the dead, it's like, I mean, I think some of the reasoning behind God saying don't, you know, consult mediums or spiritualists or anything like that is because he doesn't want us living off the word of speaking to the dead. He wants us to live from the word of the Lord. God wants to speak to us. Stay away. Uh, next question. How old are you when you are resurrected? 
I don't think we have anything in the Bible that actually tells us. Yeah, I mean, other than Jesus, but it, only three days went by, so it's hard to tell if you're three days older or not. Wow, you look three days younger than you did. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I guess I'm kind of hoping I'm about 21. <laughs> yeah, I feel like my speculation <laughs> would be is that, I mean, obviously with age being a result of the curse, you would probably, this is speculation, pure speculation based on nothing, uh, other than, I mean, the fact that he's in Jesus being around 33 years old, that's about the pinnacle of maturity. Beyond that is when you be actually begin to age and grow old. And so my thought would be with aging being actually a result of death and decay in the human body is that in, at the resurrection, you would be the age of full maturity, whatever that would be. I we mean, do know that body, our bodies will be imperishable, but it's, yeah. it's all speculation as far as what you will look like. I mean, least, that's even like Adam and Eve whenever they were created. Yeah. They weren't created babies and then grew up into adults. Yeah, they were created as a man and woman. Yeah, so I would I'd assume whatever fully mature age and development Adam and Eve were, it, it's possible that's what our development would be at resurrection. But we you know, we just have no idea. Yeah, that's Maybe we'll all be little kids, who knows? So why do we have, or why does God give free will? Wow, this is a question that we cannot answer in a short time, or we're going to attempt at least a little bit. Uh, you want to you want to take and run with this? Yeah, I mean bit? the short the short answer, but I feel like it's a true answer, uh, is uh, genuine love, real love. Uh, free will is a ne- is a necessity for genuine love. I mean, it's the whole thing of it's, and I think you actually at the panel you actually talked about this. Yeah, we did talk about this a little bit, so we uh, don't need to get into uh, too much in depth. You know, me being forced to love you is that really love? That genuine love? Uh, there's a necessity of uh, volition with that uh, of choice uh, for it to be genuine love. Also, he's creator, so he chose to create in this way. And there, there's got to be meaning there. And I think that's part but of more it, meaning than we can even understand. I think it's part of what it means to be made in the image of God, too, mm-hmm. because he he is this volitional being who has a will and makes choices and chooses what is good for his own glory and for the universe. And so it makes sense that we are choosing volitional beings who have a will as well. And I don't think it's a mistake that he calls us his children. Yeah. Next question. Uh, when faith falters, what if Stephen Hawking, a proclaimed atheist and man of science, was correct and there is no afterlife? There are times when my faith wavers and I'm crippled with worry that this is all for naught. Well, that's that's a good one. And I, I think that and I've had a lot of, a lot of people have talked to me about this because and I I guess the I guess I'm trying to figure out exactly what the worst situation is here. Uh, what I mean by that is, if there is no afterlife, then I guess the only complaint you would have is that you've been a fool? Yeah, I mean, that's what, uh, that's what Peter, I'm sorry, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, where he says that if there is no resurrection, that if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, that this he says that our fa- our faith is wor- is worthless, and we are to be pitied among all men, because essentially we're going through all of this pain and this suffering for something that's not even true. But I think it seems like they're more asking about the afterlife, like what if 
we are wrong about this whole God thing. There is no afterlife. Like Stephen Hawking, who says we're just a bunch of random molecules that came together in a certain way, and once we're dead, we're done. We're just take a dirt nap, worm food. There's nothing beyond that. I mean, that's Pascal's wager. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, was that's the thing I, I find most soulless in. Pascal's wager basically states that if I was to place a bet on what's going to happen after I die, if I'm going to place the bet on Jesus, then if if Jesus, if everything is absolutely true, and I'm with Jesus when I die, then I've got heaven to live in. If I If it's true and I don't, I'm in hell. However, if I die and there's nothing in the afterlife, then I just go to the ground like everybody else. So I think I'd rather put my chips on the better the, wager the is better to put wager. your faith in yeah. Jesus because with the choices being heaven and hell are real or there's nothing. Well, that's what I mean by yeah. am I the worst thing that could happen to me if I believe in Jesus and then I die and we go to the ground. There's no afterlife. The worst thing I am is a fool. And by then and then I won't care. Yeah, you won't care because you'll be gone. But I will care. Uh, on the day when I realized that if I'm it's still true and I didn't believe. Yes, exactly. That's terrifying. Yeah. And so I, I understand why your faith would falter with all these voices that are out there, especially with pop science the way it is. Uh, Stephen Hawking, Richard Dawkins, uh, a couple others, Sam Harris. Yeah, I understand some of their their arguments and thinking and all this, uh, but I'm telling you, I'm not so sure. I I think our society is so good at placing like this idiocy uh, label on people who tend to believe in, in Christ or in Christianity uh, as if, well, we just don't know anything about science and we're just, it's, it's science versus the Bible. And I just don't think that's true. I don't think it's about, that's not the argument here. This is a philosophical argument, not a scientific argument. You can't make a scientific argument about the afterlife. Yeah, because it's not something that you can measure or repeat it, or exactly. observe it. It's you're making philosophical inference, and so I guess I, I, I guess I, I understand why someone would kind of go back and forth with this. But I tell you what, the more I learn about it, the more my faith become, actually becomes stronger. It doesn't waver uh, because of things like Pascal's wager that have taught me that man. I think I'm in a good place, you know, even, yeah. just from a sheer logical standpoint, even if I take all of the other convictions out of it. Yeah. Uh, but the truth is, I don't live like that. I live in conviction. I do believe in Jesus. I do believe, you know, it's, 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 not just a, it's not just a belief in the sense of making me feel good and give me a crutch to walk through life and be able to handle life with. I believe it because I believe it to be absolutely true. Yeah, absolutely. So. Hey, good stuff. Okay, here's the next one. Do animals have souls? Ooh, am I going to see my cat again that I had <laughs> when I was 10? Uh, we actually don't know. I, mean, I really want to parse this out because the word soul, yes, I can definitely say an animal has a soul. Yeah. Now a spirit. Yeah. That's different. I know that's not, I know that's what they're asking. I'm just kind of joking around, but yeah, because I mean, there yeah, are two that, different that words in the soul, scripture. The soul is that energizing life force that gives you your being, your being, yeah. um, and so and animals have souls because yes. they're beings. Yes, because that's a it's a combination of your of your mind and your emotions and you know all those types of things. Um, so, but mankind's different. Uh, yeah. We have a spirit. Yes, and that's the breath of God, mm. much like when He created Adam and breathed into him. Yeah. He didn't do that with the animals. 
Yeah. And so we are creating the image of God. That's what separates us from the animal kingdom. I, I know that there's, and I feel like this is in Isaiah somewhere where it talks about the lion laying down with the lamb and that type of thing. So it makes it sound like there will be animals in the new heaven and the earth, new earth. Now, whether that is, you know, Fluffy the lamb and the, what was the Leo name? the lion? What was the name of the lion who bit Siegfried or Roy? Oh, the tiger. Oh, that was a tiger. Yeah. I'm sorry. But you still, I'm the same point. It's a big white tiger. Um, that, is it actually going to be animals from that previously lived and then died? I don't know. I do Pro believe there'll be animals in heaven. Yeah. But I believe they're kind of like they are now. See, I don't know they're if there's everywhere. animals in heaven. I think there will be animals in the resurrection. Does that make sense? Like the disembodied experience with God now? Oh, I, I, I don't... Who I knows? Don't, yeah. I don't I don't, don't know. So. Who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. I actually did have a professor who had wondered. She had said she thinks that there are just as many, if not more, varied types of life forms in the spiritual realm as there are in the physical realm. That's interesting. She says she's like, I have no way to prove that. Right. But I mean, there's references to various things in the scriptures. I mean, even references to powers and principalities and things like that it's like but we're never told what those things are i'll be very honest about what i believe here and i think some people will probably not like me after this but I i'll go ahead and say well it. if it makes you feel any better about sharing your opinion i already don't like you so <laughs> thanks what, so, are you, what are you gonna lose hey, thanks yeah, i've got nothing to lose with you <laughs> so here we go i think that all things including the animals are created for us hmm. for our enjoyment for our uh whether it's an exotic type of enjoyment, even in the danger of it all, or also in the the uh, companionship hmm. of animals, or the beauty of animals. It was all created for well, us. Because the original creation of it was not meant to be red in tooth and claw. And so I believe that when creation is restored, there will be animals all around us. Yeah. But I think it will be for us and our enjoyment. And I think that he made it that way to be lasting forever, not just for now. That doesn't necessarily mean that my dog in particular will be there uh, because he was created for me here. I don't know if he'll be, and, and, and sometimes I wonder why he was created for me here, but my wife loves him though, so that's good. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I feel as though I love God and walk in relationship with him, but I don't relate so much to the relationship with Jesus' side. As Christians... How do we view our relationship to the Trinity? Mm. Do we pray to God or Jesus? Uh, this will be our last question okay. uh, yeah. for our session. This session. Yeah, this is a. That's a. I mean, there's a couple different facets of that of saying, which I'm I'm surprised because typically, what a lot of people say is the opposite of what this person says. Because he's saying like, I'm okay with the idea of relationship with God, but relationship with Jesus, I don't get. Normally, it's the opposite. Yeah, they're like this. God's the one that's distant. God seems distant, far away. Which I mean, maybe this again. I'm not passing judgment on the person. I don't know their heart. I don't know the heart behind the question. But some of that is I'm comfortable with the idea of a relationship with God because it is distant and maybe doesn't. It's not intimately involved in my life and doesn't require much of me. But a relationship with Jesus would, because I mean, he's he's God with us. He is here. He is present. He can touch us. He can talk to us and so that's a slightly different thing or it may i mean he this person may be he or she may just be asking a purely trinitarian question of how we relate um to god via the trinity um which is a, a pretty big concept 
it is a big concept and it's it's uh it's it's not easy to explain that's for sure we i know there's been a lot of attempts over the years to try to explain the trinity using object lessons if you will yeah of how god could be three and one it's funny i just read a blog not long ago that was talking about even metaphors i've used of water or the yolk and the egg and all that stuff that all of those metaphors actually present the trinity in particular ways that actually back up ancient heresies about the Trinity that were put down by the church. Really? So that like really none of those metaphors actually give a good picture of the Trinity. <laughs> and when I read that, I was like, well, shoot, <laughs> man, that was so easy. <laughs> so it's, it's difficult. Uh, what I will say is there are pictures in the scripture at times when all three are present. Yeah. Uh, the baptism of Jesus. Mm. You hear the voice of God, you see the son and you see the Holy spirit and the dove descend. I mean, and then you then you hear Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, there are times in the Bible when God and Jesus are present and the Holy Spirit doesn't seem to be. <laughs> when Jesus and the Holy Spirit are present and God's not talked about. Yeah. When God and the Holy Spirit are talked well, about, the, like in the Old Testament, but not Jesus. There's a verse in Hebrews, and I can't think of the chapter and verse right now, but it's, it's around salvation, which I think is so cool. I'll make sure that I'm going to say this the right way where it said that through the cross, through the death of Jesus, that Christ offered a sacrifice for sins to the Father through the Spirit. It was just, It's just this beautiful Trinitarian picture of how salvation happened, that Christ offered a sacrifice for sins to, to God the Father through the Spirit, um, through the eternal spirit, I think is what. Yeah, in a way, that also kind of answers, I think, this next question: Do we pray to God or Jesus? Yeah, it's interesting. Even in the even in the examples of because we often use the New Testament as a as a model, as an example to see how they did life, and that helped shape how we do the Christian life as well. Um, most prayers in the at least in the Book of Acts, the early church, most prayers God the Father is addressed directly. There are a few examples of Jesus being prayed to, like Stephen, whenever he cries out, you know, cry, he cries out, he sees Jesus and cries out to him saying to have mercy on those who are about to stone him because they don't know what they're doing. And there's a few different parts where Jesus is prayed to directly, but most of them are got to God the Father. There are actually, I was surprised to hear this, there are no examples of the Holy Spirit being prayed to. Yeah, interesting. Now, again... I'm really careful about saying, therefore, if you've prayed to the Holy Spirit, you're not praying right. God hasn't heard your prayer. Because the truth is, God is bigger than we can imagine. He's more gracious than we can imagine, even if maybe theologically some of the ways we pray to him are off. It's not like God's going to be like, oh, you prayed to the Spirit. You're not supposed to pray to the Spirit. I don't hear that prayer. No, I think I think it still gets to God. I think he still hears. Um, but that is kind of generally the model is that I mean, essentially, we pray to God, or I'm trying to think how, because I had actually written this down the other day. I thought it was interesting. It was a, a Trinitarian way of understanding prayer, um, that we pray in the Spirit to God through the name of Jesus, through Christ. Right. That That is the most Trinitarian way of understanding prayer. And it talks about the Spirit groaning with us and giving us things to say yeah, and pray. The, the Spirit is in us, it's almost interceding as if, for it's us. It's almost which, as if God is praying, helping us pray. Yeah. Is what it's in Romans chapter And eight. I've had those moments where, man, I just, 
I'm so grieved and or anxious about something that I don't have words. And I have literally said, God, pray for me. I mean, literally, like, I know you promised the Spirit intercedes for us and, and groans beyond words. And so have the Spirit pray for me, intercede for me in this moment, because I just don't have the words right now. And it was a, and it's a powerful thing to commune with God in that way. I think the one thing I find interesting about this question that's been posed is just, and, and to be honest, it makes me kind of makes me think a little bit when it comes to um, what's going on here. When you say that you don't relate so much to the relationship with Jesus side, because if you believe the God of the Bible, then like uh, then the Old Testament's about Jesus, and the New Testament's about Jesus. The God of the Bible was pointing all his people to Jesus. Yeah. And he's glorifying Jesus. And then Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Yeah. Uh, so I I just want to encourage your friend, like whatever, however, I'm not sure exactly where you're coming from, but when I read that, my heart goes out to you a little bit because I, I hope maybe you can, I don't know, maybe take a class in the Gospels or just start reading in the Gospels. Start, mm. start really learning to fall in love with Jesus a little bit more. And because he is the father. Yeah. Cause I mean, the <laughs> and the father's in him. Cause I mean, the truth, you've seen me, you've seen him. The, the truth is that if you can't relate to Jesus, then you can't relate to God. Yeah. And that's, that's said often in, in the yeah. scripture. Yeah. Uh, and I'm the way, the truth and life. No one comes to the father except through me. Yeah. Uh, to see God is to see Jesus. Mm. Uh, so it's it's awfully hard for us to separate them. That's why we're Trinitarians, yeah. Uh, because we we don't separate them. Uh, we we see God as the Godhood, mm. and it's even though it's hard for us to try to communicate or understand. Would I want to worship a God? I totally understand. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I I I just I can't fathom that. Mm. Uh, I love what Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine says. I've used many many times for lots of things, probably proof texting all the way. But uh, <laughs> it says the secret things belong to God. Mm. You deal with that which has been revealed to you. Yeah, and that's my own kind of uh, dear Hansen version. Yeah, uh, but what what it got what I got out of it was that there are things that we're just never going to know. There are some things that will always be secret things to God, and trying to understand something that's beyond our comprehension. Uh, and I'm not, someone told me once that a, there's a difference between a theologian and a philosopher. A philosopher is always asking questions, always always trying to get at the answer no matter what. A theologian sometimes will say, well, it's a mystery. <laughs> and I used to tease my philosophy professor with, the, with at the ending of every paper I would write, I would write, I guess I'm a theologian because it's a mystery to me. <laughs> Well, that about does it. So thank you for joining us on this bonus content. And we'll be back for one more uh, bonus Q&A right here on New Hope Underground. So, so stay tuned and keep looking for the downloads.